is eat sushi, chill and chat. chat. That was the brief. <laughs> now we're in five minutes. This has been punchy and can, valuable. Can talk. Says this guy. <laughs> Tony, you're one of the top agents in Australia. REB has you ranked as number two in Queensland. You're the principal of Bell Limbar, which is consistently ranked as the number one office in the network. And obviously your Bell's number one salesperson individually is a selling principal. You've cracked six million GCI. You haven't done stuff like this too much in the past though. You've actually shied away from it. So yes, firstly, correct. a few people here have pushed you into doing this. Correct. Thanks for coming on Real Agent. Thank you for having me, boys. Of course. Very impressed with the, the first person you had, uh, Sir Alex Jordan, as we call <laughs> it. Uh, it's a privilege to be, um, to be second in your podcast. Of course. So what I left out of that introduction is it's been said you're the fastest agent in Queensland to crack a bill in transactions from zero. And you did that in a seven year time period. You're potentially one of the fastest to do it in the country, if not the fastest to do it in Australia. Mm. So clearly you've won a lot of results in a very condensed time period. So obviously this conversation is about unpacking how you've gone about accomplishing that. If you rewind it to the very beginning, ultimately a lot of this is about prospecting and getting indoors first. And then a lot of what comes next in real estate is downstream from that. Imagine this room was full with agents writing 200K, 300K, you know, just under a million in GCI, but the crowd wanted to crack a mill or crack 2 million GCI. Yes. And they were asking you for your advice on prospecting. Yes. Given that you've had such a fast start in your career and the results you have today, what would you say to them? Look, first of all, your comment is we were amongst, if not the fastest to sell a billion dollars in residential real estate. There's a couple of disclaimers there. First of all, properties are a lot more expensive than they were 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, so we can't take all the credit. Um, team structure, EBU, is a massive, massive factor. Right? That's the single biggest. If you ask me to answer your question in one word, it would be team. Um, and another thing I want to say to you is we're in the people game. Property is the commodity we trade, but it's people's lives that we greatly impact. So have we sold a billion dollars in residential real estate faster than anybody else? Quite probably. But the way we like to describe it is we have helped, and this sounds corny and I smile when I say it, but it's true, very true and very accurate. We've helped over a thousand people acquire a home. And most importantly, and this is our sole role here, we've helped hundreds, nearly, I don't know, five, 600 more families sell their home for more than I believe they would have got through any other avenue. So that's what we deserve credit for, is optimizing the transactions and the sale prices of people. We sold a home here in this suburb, we're in Camp Hill doing this um, podcast. Uh, we sold a home recently, the other day, without saying too much respect for the buyer, um, 10, 15% more than we ever thought. That's what excites me. Um, I've gone off track again. Getting indoors. My own voice, getting indoors. Um, the guys and girls who are in the audience, we're here in an empty room. Um, how do they do more business? Is that the question? Prospecting. So if you're starting out, especially if you're a bit newer, it's not like you yeah. have no runs on the board, you're yeah. doing entry level figures, maybe doing a deal a month yeah. and you're wanting to amplify your results from a prospecting point of view, what would be your fundamental recommendations? Or if you visualize it this way, someone new is starting in your office yes. and you're wanting to wanting them to grow like you've done yes. with you know other operators in your office, what yes. are you prescribing to them from a prospecting point of view? First of all, there's some major advantage that somebody who doesn't have a lot of traction has over somebody like me. That's time. That's time. When you do not have a lot of stock, your sole focus is to get stock. There is a simple way to do that. No matter what brand you're in, what state you're in, the formula doesn't change. The formula is having conversations with people. 
in a era of tech and AI and all of that stuff that's there to support us, our job is to have conversations with people. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed for a century. The one thing that some uh, operators do better than others is to have meaningful conversations. So if you're in a certain environment where they're measuring the amount of calls you're having, I don't think that's very beneficial to you. If you were to measure the amount of meaningful conversations, that might be a better metric. Because if you're ringing 100 people a day and offending 90 of them, you're probably better off to go to the pub. You'd probably, you'd probably go on, you know, <laughs> you probably have a better chance of succeeding if you stopped ringing people. So the activity is one thing. What are you doing? What are you saying? Make sure you're knowledgeable. You know, like, are you ringing people to keep your boss happy or are you ringing people to help them? So <clears throat> in a nutshell, I would say activity is massive. If you want to be great at any sport, this is a sport. Don't be... Uh, delusional for a second this is a sport you get out of it what you put into it you need to be fit healthy competitive a little bit aggressive but more than anything you need to be able to or support guys here making a lot of <laughs> support noise support crew come on yeah yeah yeah, yeah I'm not sure so, so meaningful conversations I'm clicking on that if yep. you're picking up a phone, you've got a list of 100 households in your farm area and you're a newer agent making yes. dials to that list what does a meaningful conversation even look like it's about um, bringing value. Like any relationship on this planet is about, if you want to grow it and develop it and enhance it, it's about giving more than you take. So if you're ringing people, to answer your question, if, you've, if, you're, if I'm ringing you, you've got an asset that's worth a certain amount, I should be informing you of similar assets, similar transactions, making you aware. What people don't realize is the minute you pick up the phone to ring somebody, you've just taken away their freedom. Like you've just gone into their house when they're there with their kids cooking for their whatever and just said hey I'm that important that I'm going to take your time right now you don't know me I'm a stranger when you do that you have to be very good to do it and for it to have a positive response if you're not good on the phone well maybe you shouldn't make that call if you're not bringing value the person let me just summarize it in a better way because we could go around in circles if the person doesn't get off the phone feeling good about the conversation then that is not a positive conversation for you Give them value to who are they. Like when I call somebody, I say who I am, what I'm calling for, and I tell them that I'll have them off the phone in a minute. You know, I don't waffle. Um, so your prospecting advice is keep phone calls brief? Yes. If people want to talk to you beyond that, that's great. The first thing that we all do subconsciously, I'm not sure if you can hear the rain in the background, it's just a bit of an These theme. are good mics, don't worry about that. Yeah, 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 the summer sun. Um, the first thing that somebody does when you ring them, whether you're aware of this or not, and you do it too, when somebody rings you, right, a random unsolicited call, your initial thought is, how do I get out of this conversation? People will lie to you sometimes. They'll say, oh, I'm just going into a meeting, or I've just got this, or I've just got that, or I've just got the other. It's because your approach was inaccurate, and that person felt trapped, and they had a desire to run because you just trapped them. So my name is Tony O'Doherty. I'm calling from Bell Property. Um, I'm going to take 30 seconds of your time to tell you about a home that we just sold on your street. Um... Blah, 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 hunky-dory, hang up the phone. It's not about what you say, it's about, well, it is about the content of what you say, it's about how you make them feel and how you follow up and what value you bring. Is there any difference in your opinion? So that prospecting call could just as well be a nurture call to your farm area. So yes. is there really any difference in your view between prospecting and nurturing? It's kind of just one and the same, building relationship, adding value, that's your view? Yeah, look, yes, 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 yes. Prospecting is nurturing. If you're prospecting any other way, you've been too aggressive. And also, from a very, very beginning of my career, 
I never wanted to be around anybody who doesn't want to be around me. I never want to speak to anybody who doesn't want to speak to me. So my psyche was how do I get them to come to me? How do I become attractive to them in my profession? And that's where I, my cold calling days, very, very short lived. Um, you don't need a lot in this game to get a listing, do the right thing by that vendor, get another one, do the right thing by that vendor. It's a compounding impact. There's so many bad agents out there that have loads of stock. Don't worry about it. If you're good and you're proactive and you give it a crack, it's not that hard. It's hard because people stop before they get going, you know? So having lots of conversations, you're gonna be generating a lot of intel and information from these conversations. Now, I'm actually really curious to ask you this because Alex on our first podcast basically revealed he's got a CRM, which is in the background, but he's doing everything out of his iPhone in the contact section. Yeah. How do you actually operate day to day? Like, let's just say, you know, I you're driving in your car, you, you, you're just thinking of people to call, you're having the conversations. I doubt you're stopping and taking notes afterwards. Absolutely not. I don't spend any time whatsoever on our CRM. No time, zero, zilch, never have, never did. I, when I started in real estate, I was almost computer illiterate, which I think was a strength of mine. I'm in my early thirties. I know I look a lot older, but for my age, you think I should be able to do anything with a computer like our generation can. But I grew up, I was an outdoor kid. I was, you know, I didn't really have any interest in any of that. Um, so for me, it was a blessing. Uh, just to touch on that for a second, because you brought up a very valuable topic. Uh, Alex is one of the greatest to do it. Um, I'm going okay. And we've both given you the same feedback. We don't spend a whole lot of time in front of our computers. The next time, like, you don't get leads from your computers. You hide from the general public in your computers. If you're looking to catch up with me, you won't find me in my office. You know, <laughs> there's no one in my office looking to sell. They're... Uh, can you stop taking photos, please? No, no, no one's celebrity. You're a celebrity. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, very little time. The answer to that question is, I've actually, lucky enough that I have the support to be able to help me. I run my business predominantly off WhatsApp. I will WhatsApp my team driving down the road and say, what's Wells' number? We've sold the house next door. I want to give them a call. Um, you know, that's how I run my business. I'll, yeah. So basically your team is probably actually using a CRM in the background, but you... Absolutely. Yeah. The CRM is being used. I'm just, just not, not the like best you. person to use it. Yeah. Now, is it being used in the traditional way where we say, okay, um, you're talking to somebody and they give you the dog's name and they give you the kid's name and they tell you where they're off to and then you ring them back six months later and creepily say, how's Rex and how did you go on Noosa? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Stop being stalkers. <laughs> so um, use a CRM to provide a better service. Don't use a CRM to be weird. Is I love my, it. Is my I love advice. It. Okay, so this scenario, so you're going to be in your car all the time yes. and you're obviously the lead agent on all of your campaigns effectively. Mm. So you're going to be getting a ton of inbound calls, mm. people who are calling you in, people yes. who are just general inquiries wanting to know of the price of something yep. you have listed yep. and they let slip they own something in, in your core area. Mm -hmm. So this conversation happens, you can't get on the door immediately from the conversation. Mm -hmm. What happens? Like, do you save them in your phone properly or like how do you stop the, this leakage of opportunity? Very good term. The term is leakage. My business would have the second highest volume of leakage uh, in Queensland. The highest volume of leakage would be Alex Jordan. Sir Alex. So what I would say to you is leakage is inevitable. If you don't have leakage, it's because you don't have activity. Um, and again, back to my comment, I could do more business if I was willing to chase. And, and look, there's, there's a fine line here. I want to be very honest and, and hopefully somebody, one person watching this can learn. Don't do what I do to get to where I am. You need to be very proactive. You need to be very hungry. Not that I'm not. I just want a vendor to want me, which is a weird thing to say. I'm not ringing them, you know, they're saying, oh, I've had three opinions. 
um, and I'm screaming at them, can I be the fourth? I'm saying, are you happy with the people? If you are, there's nothing I can do for you. You know, like, I mean, which is not good advice. If you're watching this at home and you're, and you're starting your career or evolving your career, you need to be at every listing table. You need to fight for every listing. For me, <clears throat> at this stage in the game, um, I want to grow my business. I really do. Most of our business comes from referrals. The amount of cold prospecting that I do uh, personally, extremely low. My guys, Ollie's very good at his job. Kaylee's very good at his job. Bailey's very good at his job. Kaylee's very good at her job. Um, Bailey's very good at his job. Um, <clears throat> they do a lot of service-based prospecting. Give, 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 give. We don't do obligation-free appraisals. We're not roaming around your street like the postman. Um, so we're service providers that provide a service at the highest level. We work ruthlessly and tirelessly for our clients. We don't want to be everybody's client. We don't want to be everybody's agent. We want to be working for smart people who will give us the resources to blow their socks off, not people that want to talk about, you know, how we can save a buck on marketing when really I want to talk about how we can make you 300K in your sale price, you know? Ideal weekend structure. So in our imaginary room full of agents writing 300 to 900 here. So you've got an ideal week, or at least when I was listening to some of your previous stuff, you were saying that you did. So stalker. A, a stalker. AM calls, PM appointments, Monday, Tuesday, buyers, Wednesday, pipeline. Yeah, okay, there we go. Hit, hit on the head. <laughs> so you were doing 624 at one point in your career, I think when you just joined Bell. and First year in uh, Ray White in 624. 624. Yeah. You've cracked six mil. Yeah. How important is having an ideal week as an as an example of having structure in your business, how important is that to go from there to there? <clears throat> it's not important. It's, it's, what's more important than important? What's more vital? It's, yeah, it's fundamental. Without it, get off your bike, you're done. You know, it's like asking, without structure, it's like jumping into a car in a city you've never lived in with a destination you have to get to. It takes 30 minutes to get there. You're in a car. You've got 30 minutes to get there. It's life or death. And you decide not to put on your sat-nav. You're not, you're not making it, are you? So without structure, plan, organization, work ethic. Work ethic will define you. If you're lazy, yeah, you'll get spit back out, spit back out by this game. Um, answer to your question, a man with a plan is, is not going to, a man without a plan is not going too far. Or a lady without a plan is not going too far. And so for the people in the room, so to speak, is it AM calls, PM appointments? Is that? Is whatever, whatever you're best at. My plan is not your plan. You know, like, again, I continuously compare this to sports. You'll have athletes that train in the morning because they know that's when they have the most in, in, energy. Uh, do what's best for you. Uh, for me, I used, to, I used to work very late in the evening. I used to work every hour. I just learned that I'm not good at, at that. So now I do a more compact, when I say compact, client-facing less so I can be better because it takes your energy. When you, when you talk to volume of people... And we're, in, in the society we live in today, divorce is incredibly uh, predominant in the area we sell. So we're dealing with people that are not in a good place. You want to be there for them professionally. And so you've got to carry some um, additional weight beyond the job. And to do it and to stay as a very solid professional, you need to learn very quickly when you're good, when you're not. So the answer for me is not the answer for you, but I would say structure is key. There's nobody who's achieving anything that doesn't have structure. So that's what yeah. a week to week could look like with some structure. Yeah. When you zoom out and look at a year, yeah. you've said in the past, if you wanna see how important something like holidays are, don't take them and see what happens. So 
when do you holiday now? How important do you think holidays are? So you've got the energy when you are actually in business. And yeah, when are you holidaying? How many weeks a year? Very good points. So structure, number one, holiday and being, being off the pitches is important as being on it. I, and I'm sorry that I lamely keep referring to us as athletes, but it's the same thing. Like any athlete will tell you the growth is done on the rest day. So you need to rest to grow. You need to rest your mind. You need to rest your body. You need to rest your soul. What I do now is have little, short, and often breaks. So we work generally um, Monday to Saturday. We have Sundays off. I don't meet clients after lunchtime on a Friday. So lunchtime Friday, and I'm on the phone, I'm doing deals and I'm doing what I need to do. I have a half day on Friday in terms of client facing. I have a half day of Saturday in terms of client facing and I don't work Sundays. So I work six uh, of the seven days, but really there's two half days in that. Half days of client facing. Again, when the phone is with you in our game, you're at the office. What I've started to do is um, maybe every two months, I'll take a Monday and Tuesday off. I will work remotely, let's say. So go somewhere. And it's not completely taking the time off. Um, It's only doing what you need to do. What are you smiling at, sir? (laughs) (laughs) The crew needs to pop down here. (laughs) Yeah, no, the the crew can get involved. This is a real podcast, you know? There's about four. It's a real agent. Yeah, real real agent. (laughs) Um, I take time off. I take Saturday afternoon. I'll have a Monday and Tuesday off. I'll be back to work Wednesday. I'm available to do what needs to be done, which in my my role right now is negotiate a deal. Um, if, you know, I can make my week busier at the end so that I can have a two days off Monday and Tuesday. Any more than that, you start to get missed. So to have a couple of days off is where, you know, your team can just, and my team is exceptional as well, to give them their full credit. They're, they're all top-class professionals. And that's such a big thing for me, like, if you take one thing away from team, 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 it's such, I've got great people around me. You know, this is a team sport at the level we do it. Um, an individual agent is an amateur agent. A professional agent has a team. Um, completely drifted away there. We'll, and we'll dive into that more in a second. But so on holidays for someone newer who is ambitious, so let's just say they're in the first year or two of real yes. estate and they yes. want to crack a mil or crack two mil in GCI, is the amount they are holidaying and taking their foot off the gas to rest, is that different to the way that you're doing it now at the level that you're at? Yeah, definitely. Because when they're on, they're not really on. When you're, when I, and I, sorry, what I mean by that is when you're at work at the level that that, that the amount of uh, homes that we're blessed to transact and the people's lives that we're managing, it's a lot of work. If you're aspiring to be, you don't have that stress and pressure yet. So when you're at work, you don't have the same demands. You're not as, oh, not overwhelmed, but it's not as taxing. So the battery will stay full because it's not being used as much. So for me, when I'm on, I'm on. It's 100 miles an hour. So, and an important thing as well, you can talk about holidays. I have, I'll try to have four weeks off of Christmas. There's two weeks either side of December where the market just dies. Now agents will say other stuff because they want stock and whatever, but the, the reality of it is you shouldn't bring a house to the market in the middle of December and you shouldn't bring it before the middle of January. That's how I see it and it's fine if you disagree, but there is a down period. That's the time to have your time off. That's the one time a year. There's no other time of the year. Um, short breaks after that, and I try to have a week, when I said try, uh, a week twice throughout the year is good, but you tell your clients in advance. You don't bring on a new client and, and then you say, oh, hey, yeah, I'm going to the coast. Uh, could you ring someone else? You know, you need to be there for these people because you're looking after them. Um, most importantly, before we move on from holidays, um, it's your daily activity. 
the fight is won or lost daily. So I used to go home and climb the wall, just do a deal at seven o'clock at night. I'd be after selling a house. What's next? Who can I talk to? What can I sell the underbidder? A million miles an hour. It's no good. So <clears throat> actually being able to switch off is more important. There was a time where I'd take a, a bloody a buyer inquiry at Christmas lunch and I'd be like, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no longer the case anymore. You need to have infrastructure to do all that. You need to make sure that when you're active, you're resting. You're not just, otherwise you won't be any good for your clients if, if you don't have, it, do you know what it comes down to in one word? It comes down, well, maybe not one word, headspace. It's your headspace. If you don't have the headspace, how are you going to, honestly, and I go back to it again, a good agent, a top performing bloke or girl, top performing professional can change the vendor's life can get them hundreds of thousands of after-tax money in an incredibly financially testing environment. We're blessed to live in one of the best countries on the planet, in my opinion, but the cost of living here is, is crazy. And the impact that we can have on people's lives by doing our job well. So if you're not rested and in the right headspace, you're no good to anybody. So expanding on headspace, so what are you doing day-to-day? -day? Do you have any sort of non-negotiables that you do that either just set you up to have yes. good energy for the day yes. or just keep you in the right headspace? Yes, yes, yes. And it's it's boring, but it's um, it's been around for a thousand years. Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. My, my first uh, five years in the game, I would have been in my 20s, um, full of energy, um, would have gone to the opening of an envelope and celebrated... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's laughing here. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is, I would have been social, would have drank too much alcohol. Instead of recharging the batteries, I would have been draining the batteries. If your downtimes are not your downtimes, you're in big trouble. And that's what I did for a long time until I got to the point of nearly burnout. When you say long, how, how many years uh, in the first few years were you behaving that way? Um, for a long time. I, I'm not going to define it and yeah. give you the rope that. The reason like, I ask that is because you still got to a billion in seven years, which is the fastest in Queensland. And you were, it's not like from day one, you were regimented and perfect. You still. I wasn't perfect at all. Yeah. But the thing is, and please don't take this as arrogant. I was born for this job. I, I, I was, and that's not, that's not something that people at home can learn from. I grew up in a service-based sales environment. So from the time before I could speak, I've been learning my craft. It wasn't until I hit 26, I found the out the area that I could flourish. So I did from the, uh, I started in Ray White. Ray White have a status that they call elite. I hit it in my first year. Their average age in like, it's for their top 2%. It's a low barrier. Let's be honest. I shouldn't say, can we eliminate I'd, that? No, well, okay. if you want to, it's up to well, you. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's a low barrier. What I mean is in our game, and, and don't delete it. I shouldn't say it's a low barrier for anybody who's out there who's achieving it. What I mean is we're too quick to give out um, uh, awards in our game and for a lot of people it's a massive achievement to get to that level um, I would say if you're not at that level that your negotiation skills aren't solid enough therefore your confidence won't be solid enough so for you to be at the listing table and be a top class agent you need to be doing good numbers now it doesn't mean you do it in year one but it means you need to have the talent and ability and a work ethic so for me I um I probably, it came easier to me than most, and I abused that for some time. I didn't always invest. Now I've got to a level where I'm frustrated because the last couple of years we're doing similar performance metrics. 
And that's because what got us to where we are won't get me to where I want to be. So now I am incredibly focused and it's why I use my consistent analogies to, to sport because you will not be the, the number one goal scorer if your body is not in line with your mind. So for a very long time, the first, I got into the industry and our industry is, let's talk about it. If this is an industry based on real estate, it's not, there's, there's a massive culture of, of, of drink, drugs, and everything else and, and not doing the right thing. And it's, it's rife in our culture. There's, there's this hero status where you're overdressed, driving cars we can't afford and behaving in ways that's not conducive with a vendor's needs. That's our industry. You go to the awards of any of the big guys, any of the big um, brands, tell me if you disagree. And it's not conducive with, um, with being a great professional. You know, so if you want to reach your full potential, which is, that's my main driver now. My main driver is, okay, I've been lucky. I've been blessed. I've got to this level. And that's great. And I can hover where I am for the next 10 years. And great, we've done well. Wonderful, great. But I'm not happy. I'm not content. I'm not content because I can do more for my clients. I can, that one word that you say, it, that it's incredibly important what we say and when we say it in a negotiation. You say the right thing at the right time it can have a massive impact on your vendor. If I was to describe sales in one word, just one word, you go first. If I was to say to you sales, right? What's sales in one word? I don't know if I can do it in a word. It's a tricky question. And, and look, it's a loaded question. So I'll give you my answer. So um, it can just be right and then we can move on. <laughs> I, I'll give you my answer so it doesn't feel like I'm stitching you up. Um, what sales means to me in a word? Sales is psychology. Sales is psychology. And that's what it's all about. And if, if you can understand that buyer's needs, their why, their family background, their cultural beliefs, their, you, you can help them get ahead of the competition and secure that property. Now, I said that very nicely in case any buyers were listening. If a seller is listening, you can help them pay more than the property's worth which is my job because I go to open all, I go to listing presentations and a vendor will say to me, oh, well, we want to use you, but you know, this guy or this girl is half a percent cheaper. And I say to them, honestly, with integrity, you can sell your own house. You don't need me, right? You get, I just write for sale in your front fence and I bet you in a week your house will be sold. So what I'm claiming is to be able to get you a price that you can't get you. And I'm also claiming to be able to get you a price that that agent that's a half percent cheaper can't get. So our main job here is to get our vendors a price that they couldn't otherwise get. And that's that's the definition of our role in my opinion. There is a lot there we're going to unpack a bit later in this conversation. <laughs> sort of circling back to hours just to put a cap on this topic. So mm. if you had to give a very short answer to yes, how many hours per day do you think an aspiring agent should be working if they want to reach a mil or two million GCI and they're not there currently? Is it, is it Maybe it might be the wrong question, but what bracket do you think they should fall into? It's hard for me to give short answers on a deep conversation like this. The answer is not hours, it's output. You can work for, I, I worked with guys who walk around the, the office for 12 hours a day. One guy in particular, great guy, great for culture, used to walk around the office bouncing the ball all day. And he was great, he was great, but not that productive. So uh, I worked 12, 14 hours, I worked anytime I needed to. Wow. They weren't all productivity, uh, productive hours. If you went to the office and worked seven 
productive hours a day, five days a week, that's 35 hours, which is in the eyes of a farmer, a part-time job, you'd pass out 80% of your competition. But how productive are you being? Um, I get agents to come to me all the time and say, how do we do it? And I have a look at their phone and we look at their, I could do this simple thing. Any, in fact, right, any agent that's watching this right now that says that they want to do more business, get your phone out, go to your settings, go to your battery function and check your phone usage. I bet you any money, he's money, that number one is Instagram, followed by Facebook, followed by Spotify, followed by everything else that's not conducive with you doing your bloody job. So the answer is not ours, the answer is output. You asked me for a short answer and it took four minutes. Can you imagine if you asked for a long one? <laughs> we'll be here till tomorrow. Amazing advice, though. I love that. I discovered that about two years ago and I would check it every week since. It's uh, It sets you straight. And Instagram's your number one? Hell no. Uh, no, ge generally less than, less than an hour every 10 days. I we're not, we're not going to fact check that, guys. Not, don't do it now when I was... Yeah, yeah, yeah last week was big yeah, on exactly. Insta. Okay, so team, you've mentioned the importance of team numerous times so far in this conversation. Yes. For the people listening, mm -hmm. when should they put on a team member and what kind of team member should it be? Should it be admin or sales? There's no... Um, okay, the answer to the question is as early as possible. And the second part of that answer is depends on your needs. So there's no one size fits all. For me, I have a lot of limitations in my job. So I needed support early. I needed admin support. I needed um, um, EA support. I needed somebody to run me. I'm a guy that needs to be pointed in the direction. I describe what I do as, excuse me, the Mark Cavendish. Have you heard of Mark Cavendish? You yeah. mentioned the documentary the other day, yeah. I did? In the, yeah, the, okay. a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. Um, Mark Cavendish, so he's basically a sprinter, the highest performing um, Tour de France athlete of all times. So the job of his team is to get him in the line at the right time so that he can do what he needs to do, which is sprint. Um, the answer to your question, get somebody as soon as you can, as soon as you can. As soon, and by can, it means a forward top. As soon as you can. If you're early days in your business, minimize your expenses, invest into the business and watch it grow if your skill set and your attitude is right as early as you can and the person that you need. Uh, I would say for me, it was admin. For you, it might be prospecting. It's it's either somebody to, and this is a root, not a root term, but it, I look at it quite simple. What I do creates a mess. So good salespeople create a mess. They leave a whole whirlwind of crap. I haven't sweared yet, swore yet. You're welcome to. They leave a whole wave of shit. So the emphasis and the swear word. They leave a, we just leave a mess. And somebody's got to come and create structure and just clear the path so that you can see where you're going and you can achieve your goals. Now, retaining them once you've brought on the right person, yes. when I look at your team, your co-agent, very long-standing member of your team, same as your operations manager, yes. I find those two things very interesting because you don't see it that often. So how once you've got the right person in, what are you doing to retain them? Maybe it's incentivizing them correctly. Whatever it is, what in your view keeps good people around? Shotflow have created technology in-house that automatically edits high quality and affordable property videos, which means you can get a coming soon, just listed and a just sold video with enough room for a spend that guarantees thousands in your farm area will actually see these videos, all vendor paid for less than the price of a typical standalone property video. To learn more, visit www.shotflow.io. Again, that's www.shotflow.io.
sellerleadsforagents.com.au. Quite simply, if you would pay for more seller leads in your farm area to get you in more doors, ultimately to increase your GCI, head to www.sellerleadsforagents.com.au and sign up. Again, if you would pay for more leads in your farm area to increase your GCI, head to www.sellerleadsforagents.com.au and sign up. A huge shout out to Marion from Tailored Home Styling for putting on today's set for Real Agent. We really appreciate it, Marion. She's very good at what she does. There is a reason Brisbane's top performing agents use Marion's services. If you would see value in getting a free quote done for styling for your next listing, agents, head to www.tailoredhomestyling.com.au and inquire with Marion. Again, if you would see value in getting a free quote done for your next listing on styling, head to www.tailoredhomestyling.com.au and inquire. I think revenue for for people is a basic fundamental. So you have to um, remunerate people according. We're not an average business, so nobody's remunerated averagely. That's something that a lot of guys do in our business. They're just greedy and they don't let enough trickle down. Um, My guys are um, extremely good professionals, caring, thoughtful, hardworking um, legends. And yeah, they, they absolutely get remunerated according to their ability, which is quite high, but that's not why they stay. And I'm a difficult person. Like I'll sit here in front of you, smile, laugh. It's all hunky-dory. The people at home think, yeah, he's probably not a bad guy. Well, I hope you think that. But in reality, I'm a demanding motherfucker and I want to be better. And like I have a meeting every morning and it's kind of like, why do we do this? Why do we do that? I believe we're operating at 40 or 50%. Until we get to 80, I will continue to have a receding hairline, probably afterwards. But the comment I'm making is, I'm not this guy. I'm a a guy who pushes for more, who wants more, who knows the responsibility that we carry, the cross that we bear for our clients. So, um, again, uh, I'm starting to waffle. What keeps people around? Culture, team spirit, involvement, winning. I'm, I'm surrounded by winners who want to win, you know, and that's why they're with us because they know that we're successful, but they also know that we have so much growth in front of us. We don't sit there and say, hey, we're the best or we're the second best, we're the third best, we're the fourth best. We look there and say, here, here, and here. We can improve this, this, and this. Yeah, look at all the upside. They're excited. Yeah. yeah. They're excited. Yeah. Where, where else would they go? Where, where, where else would any of us go? I mean, they're with me because of their ability, their loyalty, their caliber. I, I don't have them around because um, they're they're just nice people. They don't stay with me because we're doing well. We stay together because there is um, it's a fully rounded picture. Remuneration. You mentioned that at the start. No high performers would stand for less than their value. My guys, you know, um, they get their value and and that's what they deserve. Um, but there's a lot more to it. They're part of something. We're part of something special. I needed to double click on the subject just because you speak about it so often, but real estate's a, a sport, mm. team sport, you say. Mm. Winner's mindset when it comes to sport, it's obvious what that means and looks like in sport. What does it mean and look like to you in real estate to have a winner's mindset? It's a broad question. It's a hard question to define and answer. Um, a winner's mindset is, I don't know, like if you asked me six months ago, it would have been a different answer. And the fact that you've sat here and spat stuff at me that I said two years ago makes me very conscious of what I'm saying right now. Um, It's on record, you know. Winner's mindset is walking away known, known that your clients have won because of your actions. And walking away known that no one else could have got that price. You know, that the, the, the psychology, the service, 
the sales, the desire that it all met together. You know, I got home two nights ago and I had sold two properties that day and I got out of the shower and I had two or three or four unanswered texts and two of them were from the vendors. And it was just, you know, they were excited. They had sold their homes unconditionally for great prices. And that's winning to me. Vendors saying to me, thank you so much, you know? That's what it is. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what gets me excited still. You know, like our industry, we, we talk crap about winning a listing, you know, or winning a listing. Winning a listing is nothing. Granted, it's a fundamental and you won't be in the industry without it, so it's not nothing, but it is nothing. You don't celebrate the opportunity to go to work. You celebrate the outcome of your work. And all too often we're here because we're rock stars and we're, you know, we're heroes because we're listing properties. That's, that's a responsibility. That's an obligation. That's a, like, if you were a surgeon, you don't celebrate a person who's about to go under the knife. You celebrate that person who's walking, who may not have been walking if they'd gone elsewhere. That's, you know, that's, that's the responsibility we have. Yes, I did just compare our industry to surgeons, and I apologize for that. But, you know, it's, it's fundamentally massive that, that, um, that we understand the responsibility of what we're doing. Drop the ego, work a bit harder, get better results. What's winning for me? Winning for me is a vendor. Being able to upgrade with a reduced mortgage because of my actions. I like that, actually. That's, that's my answer. So I think it was around the time you were writing 600, switching up topics here. So writing 624 grand in GCI, I think, yes. when you first got a coach at that point, I believe, if, again, room full of agents, would your advice be to them to get a coach? Um, I need to get a coach now. I used a coach for a very short period of time, probably about six months. Didn't utilize the resource correctly. I found I've struggled to relate to somebody in the meantime, um, but absolutely a coach. Again, that's where the, the, the parallel lines are between sport. The guys and girls at the very top of our game have mindset coaches, head coaches, PTs for the gym. You know, yeah, get a coach. Get a coach. But make sure they know what they're talking about because most of them don't. <laughs> now, all of these things, maybe if you do them consistently over time, they'll get you to to tables and opportunities to list property. Then yes. it's about what you do when you get there. Yes. This is a topic you're pretty passionate about. So I just wanted to kick off this segue with this subject, the listing agent versus the sales agent. Yeah. What does this all mean? Um, what it means is somewhere along the way, an agent becomes successful and their business begins to attract people. And they're more focused on winning business than they are in transacting business. Remember for an agent, the dollar productivity in a market where 80, 90% of stuff, 90%, 90 plus percent of stuff that we list, if you list it correctly, will sell. So the dollar productive stuff, if your moral compass isn't right, is actually meeting more vendors. So they're hiring me thinking, geez, this guy is so successful. I'm getting their listing and buggering off to meet the next person to get their listing. There's a couple of people in, our, in my area, um, no names ever. We never slayed anybody. <laughs> Is it hot in here? <laughs> no, it's not hot in here. You can put the aircon on for him if you like. Um, yeah, no. The, 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 yeah, listing versus selling. Somebody gives you their home to sell, it's because they want you to optimize their transaction, not because um, you've got profile and you want to misuse it to hand it to somebody who's not the person they hired. That's the vast majority of what happens in our industry. I speak to Alex Jordan the other night, 
um, one of the highest perform, the highest performer in the state. Uh, I was talking to him Wednesday night, and uh, he had to go. He had to take another call. He was in the middle of three negotiations. He was negotiating for somebody who hired him to negotiate for him. Ironic, isn't that? You know, you speak to the top ten agents. First of all, I wouldn't tell you the truth. Speak to the top ten agents in in Brisbane. How many of them are doing this stuff? Which you know, uh, self promotion. This is what this is. Let's be real. Um, with their social media teams, you know, selling marketing, doing videos, all that stuff is important, but it's not your role. That's 10% of what you should be doing. The other, when somebody hires you to sell their home, they hire you to sell their home. They don't hire you to pass it on to somebody else. That's what most of our industry does. Nobody talks about it. And we're going to talk about what actually being an effective sales agent looks like because there's an art to that and we'll unpack that. You talk about, obviously, to be a top performing agent, ultimately, though, you do need to be able to list property and then be highly skilled at selling it and involved in selling it, ideally, like you say. So you need to be, be able to become an effective listing agent. You talk about not learning at the listing table. If the agents listening to this right now, they're getting indoors, you know, not as many as they would like, but they are getting in some. How do they not learn at the listing table? Because they've got to go to the appointment. They've got booked for next week. What's the solution there? Yeah, look, I suppose it's like any, again, I can't, well, I can't use another sports analogy, but nobody, it's called training, training for a nutshell, uh, in a nutshell. Um, practice, you don't have to practice on a live, real seller. You know, go around to your friend's house, go around to your mom's, like, just don't practice at the listing table. Know what you're going to say, have structure, have an approach, be informed about the person who you're going to see, be informed about the home that you're going to see. Know your plan, know your strategy. Um, speak well, articulate yourself well, um, and you know, give it a red. There's an expression um, which I won't get right, uh, but I'll relate in some sort of fashion. It says that, okay, I'm not going to, I'm way too far out now. So the expression is energy introduces you. Right. So it's about from the very minute you get to the door, often before you get eye contact, before you shake your hand, before you take your shoes off, you can win or lose a battle before the fight's even on. Like, it's about being there in the right headspace, in the right mindset with that self-belief. Self-belief doesn't come from learning on the job. It comes from having a confidence level. Uh, and if you're at that stage where you're early doors in your career, you've got time to be ready. Grab your principal, go to his house, do it with his house, walk through it, have a strategy. Don't practice in a live ring. Are you an advocate for sort of hacking this by bringing someone experienced in your office with you to sort of learn from them firsthand. Yes, you're going to have to split the comm, but that way at least you're knowing what an effective listening presentation looks and feels like. If I was to take it back a step, if I was getting in and I wasn't at a, a level of competency yet, which is what you're describing, I would be aligning my business with a successful agent full stop. I would not start in this game. This is 2023, nearly 2024. You try and do the old school, there's a phone, go and make it, you'll die, you, you won't survive. Uh, one of the biggest brands here has an 86% failure rate in the first year. It's not hard to figure out why. So a co-agent is the only place anybody should be starting, you know, or within a team, in my opinion. You will not make it otherwise because there will be, as time goes on, more and more advanced agents in more and more advanced pockets. And you try to beat one of those guys and girls with energy alone and they'll say to you, oh, you're very lovely, but we just went with, you know, they'll be very nice to you when they reject you. But that'll be the outcome. So my answer to your question is to align yourself with an agency. In our area, there's, there's um, one of the bigger agencies, they tend to bring their principal in. And to me, it doesn't reflect well because are you competent or are you not? 
is that principal my agent or are you my agent? Because if you're not my agent, then why are you here? If he's not my agent, why is he here? And who's the captain of this ship? And who's going to be having the conversation with a buyer at 8pm on a whatever day, Friday night? Friday night. night. Is it him? Is it you? Is it her? So align yourself. My answer is, yeah, it's, this is not an amateur game. It's a professional game. Until you become pro, hang out with pros. Talking about becoming pro, you've sort of put together a very unique listing structure. So you actually have a two-stage listing presentation, or at least you did when I, when I heard that. And so Stalker. I don't know whether you still do. <laughs> Stalker. Oh, I have is to. He like this? Does he stalk you? All, All the, the time. time. You? Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's just a weird cat in general. <laughs> Come on. Two-stage. So yeah. how did this, why did this even start? What is the two-stages, by the way? And what, like, why have you formulated going I, about I dropped it, it back. I don't always do two now. I okay. did for the first, you know. Uh, for me, what I learned was the more exposure I got to people, the more trust I could build. Um, so it just helped me build trust, which again, if I was to summarize the game in a word, that's what it is. Um, our brand did a survey recently because everybody likes to talk about commission and, and commission ranks extraordinarily low on people's motive when they're hiring somebody. The highest single highest thing which I've already told you is trust so for me a two-part process gave me the ability to build trust quicker than a one-part process but you don't do it every time anymore no what's the so you you went there and then you went back intuition sometimes I sometimes when you get to a level where you've got um profile uh, people are hiring you they want to hire you so I walk in and I know that they want to work with me and you're a service advisor, you're a valued advisor because you just sold their friend's house. Then the friend has said, listen, you got to use these guys. So you're going in there and those people deserve 100% of all your energy and effort. They're the most valuable people you have. Nobody deserves 95%. My comment is, I'm not doing one meeting because I don't need to do two. I'm doing one because they feel as though they can trust me already. So I'm just in there to give them the advice. In other examples, we need to get par- past the, oh, you're a salesperson. Right. There's a defense. There's a defense mechanism. There's a, there's a car, there's a, there's a theory about car yards, which is where we, a lot of people see us as used car salespeople. It's like the guy walks into the car yard on a Saturday morning and the salesman comes up and says, are you all right? And he says, yeah, no, I'm fine. But he's not fine. He didn't walk into a car yard to, for no good reason. He just doesn't trust you and he wants you out of his pocket. So... For us, it's about breaking down barriers. Sometimes I walk indoors, you can even be referred and you'd be met with a very cold person that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, you need time to say, hey, I'm not the guy you think I am. I can actually help. And overexposure, people will, when you've got the right, um, what am I looking for? When, you, when your reasons are right, when, you've, when you're a good person who's there to do good things, that'll come across. That'll come across. So basically, if you feel they're a bit more standoffish, yeah. you're going to opt to just sort of get to know them and the property first, then yeah. go away, come back, pitch. Yes. Or if you feel there's a good rapport, you'll just do it then and there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or if the property is different to what we had taught. If in the qualifying process, we didn't really fully understand. I might walk in there with one thing in my mind. I might be off on value. I might be off on marketing strategy. And I might say, hold up a second. I need to regroup here. You got one chance to pitch. Nobody has ever, 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 when I've said, look, I need to come back in a couple of days or tomorrow, whatever. Nobody's ever rang me the next day and said, hey, we just listed with all met. So you got one chance. Make it count. Make it stick. So two questions there. First, on the length of your listing presentation, some people put in their calendar and they'll block out two hours, 90 minutes. You're not that way inclined. So you're keeping it on the shorter side, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Why have you... 
why has it gone there? Because I guess to your point, wouldn't you want to spend as much time there as possible to build that rapport? But I guess that's what the two the two stages are for, maybe. Yeah. Look, our average price point is just under two. Uh, a person with a $2 million home tends to have things to do with their time. Not that somebody at a lower price point's time is not as valuable, but they may not be as busy. So the people that we deal with are time poor people. And... Um, I just don't think that a lot ever, while you've been here talking to me, we're on 46 minutes, 46 seconds. I'm watching. Yeah. And everything has a lifespan where you start to lose people's attention and meetings are no different to that. So, um, short, sharp, to the point. I'm also not a small talker, you know, unless it's a rugby world cup, which we're recently knocked out of. I'll talk about rugby for half an hour, but you know, and I, I'm interested in people's families and what they do for a living. That's not small talk to me, but talking about the weather or the Broncos or, you know, like I just like to get to the point and have a chat. It's a business meeting. Uh, and we'll get into the, the process in one second. You mentioned something previously, though, in the qualification process you mentioned, if something didn't come up. So when someone calls you in, mm-hmm. you're not going, yep, sweet, Wednesday, 2 p.m., see you then. Are you qualifying them or asking them a set of questions before you rock up or is that just not your style? You just want to get to know them in person. No, so of late we've changed our system. Most of our meetings, our list and presentations are booked by either Kaylee or Denise, but most often Kaylee. Um, and we try to get as much information as we can during that, you know, meeting so that we can be prepared to have the best advice for the person. Why are they selling? You know, what's the motive? What can they tell us about the property that we can't see online? How do they get in touch? Those kind of things. Are you asking them what they think it's worth? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. Which might tie into to another stage of this process later. So your your structure overall is you're going in, you're talking about price, mm-hmm. method, mm-hmm. sorry, process, price, and cost or marketing, right? Price, so, process, marketing, yep. price first. Let's skip the process. <laughs> um, so there's sort of two stages here. Obviously, one is giving them a method of sale, which is one thing. But then you've got this amazing opportunity when you're in front of them to tell them how exactly how you're going to get them the premium price, not so much emphasis on the exact number you tell them, which like you've said previously, you could pluck out a thin air, any number. Ultimately, it's the process that's going to get them the best number. Mm-hmm. Is Do you really take that opportunity to sort of show them via telling them exactly how you're going to run the process to get them the most? Like, do you grab that opportunity or are, are you sort of, is that done in the proposal? In some cases, we talk them through it step by step. Right. In other cases, it depends on the person. Some people... When I hire a professional, I want to stay out of their road. I don't tell them what to do. I tell them what I want to achieve and can they help me achieve it? That's how I treat professionals. But people treat you very differently. Some people want to micromanage you and hover over you. Some people want to take your advice and your guidance. Some people have controlling natures and need to know when everything's going to occur. And we tailor for those people. We don't tailor our process because our process is designed to optimize the sale price. Uh, We do tailor our process to the degree that if you don't want to do auction and you're anxious about it well I'm not going to convince you to spend the next four weeks not sleeping at night because I want to do an auction or I think an auction's best might be best for your property mightn't be best for you so we do tailor certain things um, we can tailor marketing budgets uh, but we tend not to we've got a best practice if affordability is an issue for cash flow let's talk about how we can fund it not how we can jeopardize your sale price by yeah chipping yeah. things off yeah but the interactions are very much, so I'm back on the water, the interactions are very much governed by the person and, and what they want and need. Now, next step on the price. So mm-hmm. obviously you mentioned that you will ask them for their opinion on what they think yeah. it's worth in the qualification call. Mm-hmm. 
obviously it's a tricky subject to handle. It's an age old question. How, how do you go about handling price? So you don't miss business, but equally you don't want to, you don't want to win their business with false expectations of what's possible. I'm a conservative person by nature. I'd rather lose their business than promise them something I couldn't deliver. Um, it's a balancing act because people will always have hope and you can't squash the hope, but equally you can't misadvise people. So if I think your property is worth 2 million bucks, I will tell you that most of your buyer interest will be between 1.9 and 2. And when you tell me you want 2.2, I will say to you, where did you get that figure from? And you'll say whatever. And I'll say, look, you know, I have no problem with you wanting that figure. Um, the buyer is going to look at the other data. That's, the, you know, the data that they're going to look at. You're looking at the data that supports your opinion. They're going to look at the data that supports their opinion. But really, really what's going to, um, govern the outcome is the process, the emotion, the competition. I can tell your home's worth 10 million, but it will not sell for 10 million. I can tell you it's worth a million, but it will not be worth one instead of two. What I can do is market it nationally, internationally, globally, get some really smart, intelligent, qualified buyers to your door and make them compete emotionally for the outcome. That will get you two, two if it's out there. But again, my appraisal level is one nine to two. Now on commission, specifically so let's just say obviously you're going to tell them you're right i'm i believe you'd probably be right at the top end or equal top mm -hmm. of agents in your marketplace absolutely so they 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 might turn around and say well old jimmy two shoes told me the same thing about the whole process that yes. will get them but he's telling me he's very confident he can get me you know above two and his commission is only x mm -hmm. is this do you find yourself losing business frequently on back of commission and how do you handle the whole commission discussion? Not frequently, but yes, you will lose business because of it. But that's also a qualifying thing. If you have pitched correctly and done your job well, you lose very small amount of listings based on commission and it's okay to lose a few. It's okay to lose a few. Again, back to sports. Sorry, I can't keep doing it. Tell me a striker that hasn't missed a shot. So if you're not missing shots, you're not taking enough. And the reality of it is, I don't want every vendor. I want the one who's going to allow me to perform to get them the result that they deserve. So I don't want every vendor. I, yes, I do want more around about a few more would be nice. But um, commission conversations is an age old question. Um, and the agent that promised you 2.2 and is offering you commission 1% cheaper than me is highly unlikely to be able to deliver what they're promising, I would think. I mean, in the one case study you've seen them negotiate, you've seen this person negotiate once, it was their income, and it didn't work out too well for them. Uh, so I'm not here to talk about anyone else. What I can tell you is um, we know how to get you the best result, and we will get you the best result. And I'm not more expensive. I'm absolutely free, because I'm going to get you 10 or 15% more than the market, and, and that's not what I'm charging. So. And you are moving the needle on their psychology when it comes to price versus value in the listing appointment. That's when that damage is done, in your opinion. We don't do any damage anywhere. <laughs> um, uh, you're conservative in your appraisal level. People don't want to be lied to. You're conservative. I'm always, if I think it's two, 1.9 to two. If there's somebody cheaper than me, I'd be disappointed if there wasn't. But is there a link between the cheapest person and the best person? Or is there a link between premium products costing premium prices? So... If the vendor's after the cheapest person, I'll guide them. What, that person's doing that? Well, this person over there is probably cheaper. And it's probably this person. There's an agency now, I think they call themselves 1% or something. Give those guys a call. You know, if cheap is what you're after, I shouldn't be here. And that's a qualifying process. If you're after a sale price that will change your fucking life, I'm sure I can help. 
And that's true. And I don't want to sound arrogant. It's passion. And I want it to come across as passion. But everything that I do from when I shower in the morning to go to bed at night is around how I can get that 1% better. And if you have a guy or girl over there that's cheaper, it's because that's their value. They're not cheaper because they're better. They're cheaper because they're cheaper. And, and you're speaking like this to a vendor at a listening we're, presentation? We're, or is yeah, it, do you not have that luxury? On, depending on the person. Depending on the person. I'm always me. And some people find it polarizing. Some people are like, nah, fuck him, you know? And that's okay too. I don't want to be, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, like without, maybe I'm a bit more comfortable here. I'm laid back. I'm, yep. I know all you boys. So maybe I'm not being professional. I'm not being professional. I'm here in a relaxed environment to chill and chat. That was the, that was the brief. Eat, eat sushi, chill and, and chat. chat. <laughs> that was the brief. That was the brief. That's what we're here for. Um, uh, yeah, probably would be a lot more professional in what I'm saying, but the message course, is but the same. same. Message. This yep. message is the yep. same. And is, uh, are you asking for their business in the listing presentation? It's funny you ask that question. When I started my game, I was always, starting the game, I was always told, um, you never leave without asking for the business. And very quickly, I learned that I will never do anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. Not in a, what I mean by that is, things that make you feel comfortable is how you grow, but not things that make you feel uncomfortable in your Almost heart. like a moral like, yeah, type in your, feeling. Yeah, in your... So if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. But if something's may irking you, if something's irking you, don't do that. And me asking somebody to sign a Form 6, I'm walking out the door. Like, I say to people, um, have a think about it, have a chat, sleep in it, I'll give you a call tomorrow. Mm. It's a big decision. I want them. And the, what you think is more powerful? The guy or the girl who's saying sign here or the guy that's walking out your door who's just given a wonderful presentation. That's the art here. I want them to want me. When somebody rings and says... We're going with somebody else. What's the, what would eight out of ten agents do? Fight. How? When? Why? Where? Ninety percent of the time, nine, yeah, ninety percent of the time, I don't fight. I did okay. How do I get better? My energy is going into the people that have given me their business, not the ones that haven't. And um, yeah, look, I mean, I fight for the ones where I've given it my all. And to be honest, I I only lose listings because of me. And that, that's, I don't lose or I don't win because of external factors. I lose or I win because of me. That's just the way I see it. I didn't do enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't sharp enough. I should have, could have, would I did. 100% mm, accountability. It's, it's yep. me, man. It's me. It's me. It's always you. Don't be blaming people. Everyone wants someone to blame. It's you. Look in the mirror if you're looking for that person. It's Love true. It. So you've won the business. Yes. You've got the listing. Yes. Now it's about... Selling it, right? Now it's about backing up the chat. It's backing up the chat. Now, this is another really important topic that you're quite passionate about, which is service over sales. I hadn't really heard this spoken about before you, so could you just explain to, to the audience what service over sales means? Yeah, look, again, he's quoting me on something I said some time ago. I grew up, service over sales, what it means to me, Tony O'Doherty, uh, is I grew up uh, with a father who was a salesman. He would sell livestock like his father did before him and his father did before him to farmers in remote areas who wouldn't know the value of the assets they were buying. So the transactions were done based on trust. They could have taken advantage this year, but the most important thing was to make sure that their customer walked away with a good experience and that you could come back next year to that customer and they would be your customer again next year. So... In my case, it's not giving the buyer a discount. It's giving the seller everything that they know that the outcome is the best outcome. So to me, it's service over sales. Um, 
the last five percent of what we do is, is sales. A negotiation for me normally, normally concludes on the day I wanted to, on the day we started to. So ultimate competition, no no conditions under contract, and I'm winding that clock up as far as I can, and then I'm concluding the negotiations so that the buyer couldn't start to retract. So negotiations in my case are short, sharp, and extremely, um, extremely. Uh, what word am I looking for? Beneficial to my clients. Beneficial is not a powerful enough word. When we strike for that price, it's sharp. It's common. You you, you just spend it. You, uh, when I say negotiations are short and sharp, I could be dealing with a buyer for two weeks mm. to get them to where we want to. But I, I, I just don't consider that negotiations. You getting rid of your finance clause, your building and pest clause, getting your own builder to having a look, getting your insurance company to quote, whatever, that's your due diligence that I'm allowing you, that I'm not allowing you to do on our time. Do it in your time. When you've done it, come back and make an unconditional offer. Let's have an unconditional conversation because I'm not going to get a buyer to pay more than they ever thought they'd pay and more than they're comfortable to pay and then say, hey, do you want to go unconditional on your finance? Do you want to go unconditional on your building and pay? What about that wa waiver of cooling off? Do you want to? No. You do all the pre-work pre and you do the negotiations short, sharp and aggressive and always with competition. Multiple offers are auction. You never, traditionally the way a buyer and a seller negotiate, the way an agent negotiates, they say, okay, there's your offer of a million bucks. They go to the seller. The seller wants one, two. They go back to the buyer. What's the only figure that we all agree now is not being paid? The buyer wants to pay a million. The seller wants to pay one, two. The seller countersigns it one, two, brings it back to the buyer. Mm. So the only figure that we all agree is never being paid is one, two. That's what the seller wants. The buyer's at a million. Because you're, you're saying the buyer's never going to go to one, two? In that no, story? Well, why would they? You've just countersigned a contract. And oh, shown you've, showed, a, you've showed your bottom line, you, basically. Well, well, you've showed them where they could go to. It's a 20% gap. But the first thing a buyer's thinking is coming back at a million and 50. One, one, if they love it. Right. One million and 80. They're not going to one, two. In my career, I've never gone back with a countersigned contract and a buyer went, whoop, that's great. Doesn't happen. So when you negotiate between buyer and seller, you just say to that buyer subconsciously, if they're smart enough, sales is psychology. Remember what I said? You're just saying to that buyer, hey, you're the only person in the planet right now. You've got control of this property. Not me, the professional, not the agent that, or not the vendor that owns it. You. We just countersigned your contract. So you're implying if you countersign that you're yeah. only dealing with them yeah. in a way. Yeah. Interesting. So double tapping on all of this, because this is really, this is great stuff. So buy work in general, obviously when you talk about listing agent versus sales agent, yeah. as a sales agent, you're still intimately involved in working with buyers. You were mentioning on the phone to Alex, he's the same negotiating with buyers. That's mm. what they hired him for. That's mm. what people hire you for Absolutely when, when no. you list property. Yep. So I guess, what are some of the key things on working with buyers that you think the audience might see value in when you're doing an open for inspection callback or someone's ringing you just to check what something's worth, what dialogue, what qualification mm. framework, like what's your go-tos when talking it seems, to buyers? It seems like a, a generic answer, honesty and integrity. And it starts at an open home, right? So we sold this house right here that we're shooting in two months ago. If somebody walks in the door there and they ask a question, what's the ceiling height? What eight out of 10 agents will do is look up at the ceiling height, not knowing the answer, and say, oh, I think it's about 3.3. And the problem with that is, you've just spoken for the sake of speaking. You haven't given the buyer the answer and you've failed to build rapport with that person at that time. How about the same case study? Buyer comes in, walks in, what, what's the ceiling height? Give me a minute. 
You walk out the front door, in my case, you voice note your vendor, lifetime, all time, mate, what's the ceiling height? Or voice note my team, where's the plans, what's the ceiling height? We don't have the answer to every question all the time. You know, I'm not gonna sit here to my vendors and say, I know everything about your property. No, I don't. I don't know, you've got a million, a thousand pieces that put this jigsaw puzzle together. I don't know every one of them intimately, nor do I want to. But when the buyer does, I wanna make sure I get them the answer. So the first thing is honesty and integrity, not, oh, it looks like 3.3. That's not an answer, Matt. That's not an answer. That's a, in my opinion, it's an insult. It's you fobbing them off. So it's about the ability to engage with people and to give them answers and to be integral and look them in the eye and say, oh, you know what, Matt, I'll have to come back to you on that. Give me a minute. And you come back to them in a minute or three and you say, it's actually 3.5 here. The lowest side there, the kitchen is, is um, whatever, 3.2. The, up, the upstairs is 2.7. Before you just... Anything else you want to know? I'll be in touch Monday anyway. I'll give you a call anyway Monday. In the meantime, we're going to send you the contract, the building, and pest, the rental appraisal. We'll give you a call on Monday. If you want to make an offer, if you need more info, just flick us a text and I'll call you over the weekend. You know, and, it's, and I'm walking away from them as I'm saying it because I want to be valued because I bring value. So I'm not following them around. Hey, have you seen the bench top? No, they just walked into the kitchen without seeing the bench top. <laughs> you know, so it's about... Yeah. Actually, yeah. Actually adding value, not just Actually adding talking value, not just talking of, for yeah. the sake of talking, yeah. which we love to do as agents. So in that scenario, you're saying to them, you're going to call them back on Monday, which you obviously do because mm. that's part of your ideal week. So when you're doing your callbacks, what are some of the key things that you're moving the needle on in those conversations? As the team, as the team has progressed, they're handling more of the buyer callbacks as well. Right. So if we have a hundred, this house is a classic example, real flashy looking house, had a 120 groups through the door. Um, on a Monday, when you got to call 120 buyers, for me to call 120 people to try and get to the 10 people that can afford it, that like it, that are interested, by the time you get to them, your superpower is gone. Mm. You don't have the energy to optimize the conversation with the key people because you've been burnt out by the neighbors. So um, if we have volume on something like this, um, there'll be a, a qualification process for the callbacks as well. Um, we'll ask people if they're interested, any, you know, uh, but the key thing is in those callbacks um, is again, being honest, honest and integral, doing what you say you'll do when you say you'll do it, asking them for feedback, providing the feedback to the vendors um, and just playing a straight bat. If this was an auction, this was an auction process. So we have a clear strategy as to what we're trying to do. We're trying to hand out as many paddles as we can for the auction, unless an aggressive buyer pops up and wants to buy it along the way. So for an auction, that's your KPI, as many registered bidders mm. on the day as possible. Simple. Yep. Love it. Main KPI. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's the main KPI. Now, it's about the people. I just want to touch on this as we segue to the end of this conversation. So there was a... Finally, guys, you can have your afternoon back. <laughs> now we're a, five hey, minutes. This has been can, punchy and can, valuable. Can talk. Can talk. It's all this, him. Says this guy. Says this guy. <laughs> <laughs> So it's about the people. You told the story. There was this lady. She had a. She was friends with a real estate agent. They'd grown up together. Mm. You managed to win her business. I think she was on Pine Street or something. You sold multiple properties for her. You met someone else in the process. Sold multiple properties for them. You said if it was about a transaction, you would have sold one house. But it was about the people, so you did twenty deals. I guess what is when you say it's about the people? It's something you say constantly, and obviously you really believe it. What does what does it mean to you? Look, I, I try to be incredibly, incredibly honest. I try to be very honest. And when you say that to me, part of me feels 
uh, dishonest. Mm. Somewhere along the way, we have become transactional. I had a vendor say to me recently, and it hurt, but it was feedback so we can learn. She said, you got us the best price. You have the best team. When we're selling a house again, we will use you. But she said it felt a little bit streamlined. So for her to say that to me, for me to say it to you openly, I want to, it is about the people. It's all about the people. But somewhere along the way, I became obsessed with sale prices. So she she felt like she was on an assembly line as a vendor? Yeah. She said to me, you've got the best team. She said, whenever we sell a house again, I'll be selling it with you. It's slick, yeah. But what I think... What I'm trying to say is, it is about the people, but you need to make sure that the people know it's about the people. Mm. I was bursting my arse to optimize her sale price. And she didn't feel it. And she didn't feel it. Now, it was, I've got, uh, in about 150 transactions, I've had that feedback twice. And I'm starting to look and think, okay, do you reinvent your business? Do you hire an extra person? But it's not that. What she wants is me. She wants more interaction with me. And you look about and I look back on it and I think emails, WhatsApp, phone calls, just the level of intensity of communication that we give, that we do, everything we do, we, we notify. You couldn't do any more notification, um, uh, communication. Because you're, you're speaking constantly, updating Constantly all the time. with vendors. Right. Constantly. Like I've sat here with you for an hour and 10 minutes. Yep. When I leave, I jump on my phone and I'll have four or five um, clients or buyers to jump straight into conversation with to continue a conversation we were having for me to not reply to somebody for an hour and 10 minutes is as long as it gets right you know again listing price excuse me very rarely would i be away from the phone for more than an hour and a quarter um when i am though the phone is managed so everything that happens in lifetime has been managed um it is about the people i guess my comment is um i've become so focused on the process that i want to like I don't, I need to spend more time with the people. I need to spend more time with the people. Making them feel the care factor again. Me caring, like before, every time I saw the house, I'd go with it for a drink with them, you mm. know? Back to my drinking days. <laughs> I'd, um, you know, I'd, I'd bring them to the pub. I'd have a beer. So professionally, there is nobody, there's n- this is how I feel. Professionally, I don't believe there's anybody else that could get a vendor more money for a house. I believe that because I've been obsessed with it. I have focused on it. My team have focused on it. And we are collectively exceptional at that. But I just want to get back to spending a bit more time with the people. So that's the perfect compliment yeah. to, to being a true professional is at having a bit of care factor as well. Yeah, we have the care factor. We do. But I just want to interact with people more. Before we get to the final question here. There is, there's, there's an end in sight, guys. <laughs> the boys here from Shopflow have obviously sort of put this on for us. Obviously, they're a platform which is all about agent and agency profile through property video and amplifying that through social media. Now, yeah. I ask this because look who's jumped onto social media all of a sudden. Why now? This is something you have avoided throughout your whole career. You're quickest to a billion without it, effectively. You're posting on there, just not you. Why address it now? Social media and profile. Um, the answer, the true answer is applied pressure from people who's, you know, sitting here, (laughs) sitting here, who I value. Um, the reality of it is you can't grow if you're not pulling every lever, if you're not tweaking everything, social media won't get you to a billion. Uh, It didn't get me there. It didn't get any of the top guys or girls who've got 10,000, 50,000 followers. Uh, It's just another tool. It's another tool, and if you handle it correctly and the content is good, 
and the guys you have, um, I know a couple I could recommend. If, if they're good professionals, uh, I just think it'll have a positive impact. Um, it's having a positive impact. I went to open homes after our first video and I had multiple people. And like people watching me here now would think, you know, extrovert, no worries. I'm not an extrovert. Like I, for people to come to me and say, oh, we watched your video. I was like, fuck me, what have we done? Like, why, why are you coming up to me? Ask me to seal and hide at a house, will you <laughs> Going back to that. And was it, good, was it good feedback though? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They love the rawness and the realness. Yep. And that's kind of what I want to be like. Some of what I said today, I look back and think, shit, shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have done that. But you know what? When I go to bed at night, I'll go to sleep because this is me. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, you probably won't be still watching, so let's go. <laughs> final question. Final question. Final question. You said that before. No, no, I said before we get to the final oh, question. Okay, this is the final question. Okay, okay. So imagine you have the opportunity to pick up the phone to the year two version of Tony O'Doherty and you get to give him 60 seconds of real estate advice. Let's not overcomplicate it with this whole butterfly effect thing. Like if you knew this stuff, you would do stuff differently and wouldn't be in this position. Let's just imagine you can just give yourself 60 seconds of clean real estate advice for a newer agent. What are the fundamentals of what you're saying to him on the phone? Increase your knowledge. Know everything that's happening in your marketplace. Work hard. Give solid advice. Look after people. But most importantly, look after yourself. Most of, if I could go back to Tony, and this is a personal question to me, or is it a question to the guys at home? For, for you. For me personally, the answer is look after yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, there's a good reason why. Learn, get better, grow, enhance, work hard. This, there's no secrets in our game anymore. Alex Jordan was here last week telling you everything. I just sat here telling you everything. There's people coming after us. If you want to give them a plug, now's your time. They're going to tell you everything. So the only reason why you're not achieving your goals is because of your output, your input. If I could talk to Tony in year two, I would say focus more off the pitch Maybe don't work as hard. Maybe don't work as hard. Maybe work a bit smarter. Maybe work smarter. It's a big question to ask on a whim, man. I'm going to look back at this and think. I warmed you up. I kept it to the last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kept it to the last one. And, you know, I hate to end on a, a dull. Tony in year two, I would say, what would I say? It's, it's a big question. You know what I would say to me in year two? Stop hiding. Don't wait till year seven to, 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 to download Instagram. Instagram's not going to change your career. The boys are laughing now, you see? They're delighted. That was actually written on the wall yeah. over here. <laughs> plug social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also need to plug um, Marion from Tailored Homes. Yes, we will. We'll you were going to do that? We'll give her a special recorded yes. shout out afterwards. But we'll yes. give her a shout out. Sorry, I thought that was... No, that's right. There you go, no, well, We wouldn't forget it for the world. We wouldn't forget <laughs> it for the world. Um, Tony from year two, believe in yourself. Stop self-sabotaging. Back yourself. Get your profile out there. And yeah, you'll be okay, man. She's good. <laughs> Love it. Genuinely, thank you for doing this. Thanks I think you're an inspiration to a lot of people in the industry and they're finally starting to get to know you, which I think is a positive thing. So thanks thank for doing you. this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Cheers. Let's go! All right, that's a wrap on our second episode of Real Agent. Thanks for Tony for coming on. We've got two more incredibly exciting guests lined up two of the best real estate minds in the country. So stay tuned for those two episodes. Basically, if you'd like to stay alerted the next time an episode is released, check us out or subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram for clips and real content at realagent.co. 
or head to our site at www.realagent.co and get subscribed to new releases there. Thanks again to our partners for this episode, ShopFlow, Tailored Home Styling and SellerLeadsForAgents.com.au. See you in the next one.